0: Log talk radio it's already done it's, it's the pressure points Unpacked podcast with host tyra little we're live tuesdays at 6 p.m eastern time this show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level we're unpacking emotional spiritual mental and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked on Never Handed So Good Sports Media Network, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, hello, and welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast, where we are unpacking spiritually mentally, physically, and emotionally. So, as you know, normally our form is, platform is totally different. But because this is right before election, um, I felt that it was really important to have different candidates on so that the community gets an opportunity to hear from the candidate. Um, more of a personal, up-close setting. Because normally they have all of these town halls and they only have a couple of minutes to answer. But I wanted to give each one of the candidates who has agreed to come on the show that just an opportunity to be genuine and just to have a table talk with them. So today we have Ms. Deetra Stova-Matthews, and she's a candidate for the City of Columbia She's running for the at-large position. So, Deetra, I just want to welcome you to Press Your Points Unpacked, and just thank you for taking the time out to come on today.
1: Thank you so very much, Tyra. Um, I'm so deeply grateful to to join you, and we are, you know, I, I would say since the day is is almost over, we are pretty much six days away from an election and this is just the, the perfect way to kind of uh, start these, these remaining days. Um, you, you mentioned that we've had many, many town halls and candidate forums, and I think um, those have ended. So this is just the perfect way for me to share in conversation with you and with your listeners just my personal side, and so I'm deeply grateful for that. Well, that's good. That's good.
0: So, Detroit Tell the listeners a little, give us some history about yourself. I mean, I know you've, you know, sent out mailers and everything at different, you know, people may have heard you, but give us something that they just can't pull up on that, that's already on, on your website. Well, you
1: know, I do talk about being born and raised here uh, mm-hmm. on my website a lot and even on the candidate forms, and it's really important for me to even share with your listeners because right. it, it, it means a lot. You know, I was born and raised here in Columbia, South Carolina. I tell people I grew up in the 29203 zip code. Some people actually don't know that. I don't – well, not everyone. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I learned how to swim at Greenview Park. I graduated from V.V. Reed. And I tell people there's probably not a city park that I didn't shoot a, a basketball free throw in. I, I started playing basketball when I was nine, and I just started sharing that on the campaign trail and people are shocked, you know, (laughs) play basketball (laughs) of the age of nine. It took me to college, play ball in college. And, um, but yeah, but, but after I graduated from, from college, and let me just say this because I do say this a lot, but I want to share this with your listeners too. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, Tyra, when I graduated from high school in 1996, proud product of Richland School District 1, graduated from Columbia High School. You could not tell me that I was not prepared to go conquer the world. I really Mm -hmm. believe that the city of Columbia gave me wings to fly. I believe it. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: I came back 10 years ago, and I have to be honest with you, there were two questions I asked. What happened to Columbia and who allowed it to happen? Being a product of 29203, where I saw the growth in some areas in South Carolina, what I saw was abandonment and complete disinvestment and disenfranchisement and the area that made me believe that I could go do that. And it Mm -hmm. bothered me. It broke my heart. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. No, I I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, Because for me, I left when I was 18, you know, went in the military and everything. And even when I returned back home, um, same thing, you know, same same exact thing so i definitely um understand how you felt about that so now Deetra, i know that you are um a former educator correct i am yes yes
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: so tell me something if you were because i know as you know today is the emergency that that special school board election um if you win this at-large seat, how would you what what would be your your platform or structure to work with the school board? What are some things well, that you see um, that you know needs improvement?
1: Well, there are there are, there are a lot. And when I came back um nearly a decade ago, I didn't go right into the workforce. My husband was still Um, In the military and he was traveling back and forth to Jordan and so I didn't enter the workforce right away Um, Mm -hmm. But what I did um, I was employed as the one of the 21st century community project directors for Richland School District 1 and once again broken heart once you once you kind of see or what I saw um, you know about five years ago when I took that position and so there, there, there's a lot of work to be done. And can I say this, please? I remember, yeah. and this kind of ties into why I decided to finally get off the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Very, early my, very early in my career, um, I stopped asking children, what is wrong with you in my class? Mm-hmm. I started asking children, what happened to you? Mm-hmm. And truly, simply because of that, of that question, you realize that many of our babies, are shouldering adult quality of life issues. And these issues still show up in our classrooms, particularly Mm -hmm. in Richland School District 1, every single day. Mm -hmm. I remind people, um, you know, at the end of the school day, you have just as many taxi cabs, you know, in front of the school as you do school buses because we have that many children who are are, uh, housing insecure. And so Mm -hmm. no matter how motivated a child is, they can be bright, brilliant, but if they are shouldering and carrying in, I don't know where I'm going to lay my head. I don't know if water's going to be running out of my faucet. I don't know if I'll be able to turn the lights on. If they're worrying about those issues, no matter how motivated they are, sometimes they cannot show up as their full self. And and I learned that very early by just asking that simple question of what happened to you. Mm-hmm. And and I and, and not to be long, and I'm, no, I'm you're certainly fine. going to get to your question about what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Is I started asking that question simply for one conversation that I had when we were stationed in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, I was teaching in a Title One funded school, Lewis Chapel Middle School in Fayetteville, and I remember calling a parent. Um, I, I remember calling a parent, and. It was not a, a easy call because her son was not bringing his full self to the classroom, and this was the one who had already been retained. And so I called, and I just heard this desperation. And she says to me, "Miss Matthews, just just fail him." And I remember looking at the phone, wow. and I'm like, "Excuse me?" She goes, "Miss Matthews, I'm doing the best that I can." I'm trying to Mm. keep a roof over over my son and my daughter's head. I'm trying to keep food in their belly. I just don't know what else to do. And so from that moment on, I said, "I'm never calling home on issues like this. If I call home very often, it's going to be in celebration." And I told her, I said, "You know what? I got this." And I committed Mm -hmm. to that throughout my entire career. I never relied on parents because I knew that parents were just a lot of them were doing the best that they that they can or could. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as a city councilwoman, with that. Excuse me, with that experience and that deep insight, without judgment, right? Mm-hmm. I would like for the city of Columbia to deepen its partnership with our schools, our school, uh, school board, and really just our school system. Mm-hmm. Um, historically, and what I have discovered, just kind of watching on the peripheral, is that the city of Columbia operates in silo. Our brothers and sisters on the county council operates in silo. And as someone who I'm a government relations manager, I state leaders just kind of, you know, not to say that they operate in silo, but they understand that they are the grandfather, (laughs) you know. So, you know, a lot of times they have, you know, policy or legislation sometimes has to get the stamp of approval from our state leaders. And so I want to deepen that partnership um, so that we can not only inspire the talent that I have been able to see, and those beautiful brown eyes that I see in Versailles School District 1, but I want to mobilize that talent early, connect them. So I remember back in the day, Tyra, and I'm going to end here with this question, but I remember back in the day when I was a student, the city of Columbia would actually partner uh, with our school systems, and we would actually be assigned mentors throughout the city. And I'm talking about in all departments of our of our city government. And I remember being partnered with – which is, like, which is so interesting, especially with the work that I do now in environmental, uh, environmentalism environmental justice, I was placed at the, the, the City of Columbia wastewater system. And so what? that particular executive was my mentor. Mm-hmm. But it, but, and so, so I think that we can begin to deepen those partnerships um, uh, very, very early. And I'm talking about K through 12 early. And, and keep those partnerships as they move into some of our premier uh, higher ed institutions as well. But we've got to make mm-hmm. sure that there's a not only a job for them when they when they graduate either from high school or when they graduate from college, we've got to make sure that there is a career with open mobility so that they can become productive citizens and raise a family. Right. No,
0: I wholeheartedly agree with you with that. Um, you know, because as I said when I was speaking with, um, I guess, last week um, who was running for school board, Um, And if any of you all are out here listening and you have and you're in Richland District 1 and you can cast a vote, you have until 7 o'clock to get out there and cast your vote for school board. We have got to make sure that we get out here and vote. Um, But anyway, back to what I was saying, you know, I don't think that there's any child that get up in the morning and say, I want to be bad. You know what I'm saying? And so... There are life issues and life circumstances, and I just feel like a lot of times that we're expecting these children to behave in a manner that we as adults can't function under, you know? Just the the life stresses that they have that they should not have as children, but they do, you know, because life happens to the parents and their situations, but I feel like we, we try to hold them to a standard that we don't even hold our own coworkers to, so um that's definitely right. that's pulling right. together you know getting you know pulling the the county together the city the school boards we have to work as one and and one of the things that I, I always stress about you know we need to get out here and vote but we need to understand how to vote um and we need to understand the importance you have to listen to what people are saying you know you can't just make this straight party vote well I'm Democratic and I'm just going to vote this way. No, you need to listen to what people are saying. Make people earn your vote. Don't just give the vote away. You know? Um, and so we just, we definitely have to do a better job at that so that we can pull the right people together that they can get in these rooms and have these discussions that's going to better our neighborhoods. You know? Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so, and
1: Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go I, ahead. I'm, I'm amen to you because I, I cannot tell you how often I, I have said that. They get off the bus. These kids don't wake. They don't get off the bus saying, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to give these teachers, you know, holy you know mm-hmm. what. Mm-hmm. They don't do mm-hmm. that. They're just not mm-hmm. socially, emotionally, mentally mature enough to handle not being able to find a place to sleep. And let me tell you this story. What made me finally leave education about two years ago? Being mm-hmm. in my environmental work, I care about, advocate every single day for clean air, clean water, clean energy, access to safe green space for all. But I have a very uh, streamlined focus on the justice part of environmentalism. And I remember a kid telling me about, again, two years ago, and he just randomly says to me, "Miss Matthews, guess where I, where I slept this weekend? I said, mm-hmm. where? He goes, in the bathtub. I said, why? Why are you sleeping in the bathtub? He says there were 14 people living in a two-bedroom rented house Mm -hmm. to shoulder the rent and the utility bill. And Mm -hmm. I dug a little uh, uh, deeper. Energy insecurity, energy poverty is real. So when you have issues, landlord issues, like this one where I dug and found out that half of the roof was literally parked, and we are allowing absent landlords to treat mm-hmm. people this way. So, yes,
2: yes, yes, yes. the energy
1: bill was $500 a month because half, you were heating half of outdoors. You were cooling right. half of outdoors. And so right. I finally left. Because of that story, I said, I, look, I, have, I remember coming home, sat next to my husband, and I said, it is time. I have been trying in my own small ways to remove all of those issues and challenges that I mentioned before. That coming mm-hmm. in the classroom, I said, but this is it. This kid told me he was sleeping in the bathtub because that's the only that was the only place that was left. All the floor space was gone. All the beds were mm-hmm. gone. All mm-hmm. the couches <laughs> and chairs. And that baby, who we expected <sighs> to come to school and show himself his best self after he's sleeping mm-hmm. in the tub, I that Not was always. the catalyst that made me say, I have got to do something about this. Right. And it's right. truly another motivation of why I finally decided to get off the sidelines to run for city council because city council deals with those ab- we we are charged right. with dealing with those absent landlords and I will yeah. not as city councilwoman from that from from that experience I will not allow
0: it I just won't right right I mean it's needed they're trying to you know they have them putting different things into place but I even look at some of the issues when it comes to zoning. Um you know, and unfortunately, a lot of the neighborhoods in the two nine two oh three were already built, and they did not have um any of your you know how the h o a have their their fees and different um rules that are set up and so because of that, you know we have to fall under what you know the city ordinance says, but there are some little things in the ordinance sometimes that's really um to me it, it it helps to pull the property value down the other community because to allow different people to um, have different jobs running out of their homes causes a whole bunch of cars coming through the neighborhood coming through the community mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. there are certain things that they allow that it actually um it brings the value down it, it makes the mm-hmm. neighborhood look bad it makes it it makes it look, it look bad you know and so um there are some things in the ordinance that needs to be tweaked as well you know they have things that they're you know grandfathering in but i mean we need to relook at some things everything doesn't need to be grandfathered in and i mean when it comes to appearances and if it's messing with people's property value there's some things that that need to be reevaluated so um i agree I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Deidre, I want to let me get into um, a couple of questions yeah. that yeah. Um, that I do have, um, some that was sent in. Um, so here's one. It's important to be a physical representation of the community you intend to serve. However, marginalized and minority communities have often felt unrepresented and overlooked by the people that look like them. What experience or vision makes you qualified to serve this community?
1: I love this question because like I said before, the, at the top of this, with, with my two questions, two questions that I had when I came back, what happened to Columbia and who allowed it to happen? It, that, is, that is it, I, that is what I saw. And um, you know, I, I talk about 29203 and you know, sometimes Tara, when I get in my feelings, I actually get in my car and I drive to my childhood home and I start there. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, it, it's my foundation, but it's in that area that very often is forgotten. And I start mm-hmm. there, and I just kind of get, get receive the, 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 the historical energy from that place. And then I just start driving. I allow the, the needs of the community to speak to me. And I've, that's a practice I've done since I moved back even 10 years ago. Um, you probably, I mean, if you dig deep, you know, I talk about it even on social media sometimes. And I would encourage people, do this every at least once a month. Just get in your car. Even if you're from Columbia, allow yourself to get lost and allow the needs of the community to, to speak to you because when you mm-hmm. do that, you you will hear, it, hear them because they're very loud. And mm-hmm. so um, I have been serving in the community without fanfare. I think I've mentioned before that I am the... Um, CEO of a local nonprofit that my parents started 13 years ago, and we provide a free summer camp six weeks out of the summer. We just completed our 13th year, and we provide uh, a, a camp in the 29203 and the 29204. We partnered with two different churches, and so we have served the needs of fa- uh, children and families, hundreds of uh, children and families in Columbia for 13 years. But we mm-hmm. center our program. It's it's the foundation is called the RAM Foundation, and it's a, it's an acronym. It's Reading, Arts, Mathematics, and we center the arts. And we discovered uh, when we center the arts, a child truly truly can dream and just that unnatural just exposure when I say unnatural just things that they are just not normally um, exposed to and so our kids get the chance to choose two different arts programs weeks and I'm talking about ballet piano drums violin uh, karate the even the industrial arts you know our kids learn how to sew if if that's their choice and Mm -hmm. and 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 carpentry they're learning a lot of our kids don't even know how to use a, a hammer and a nail And so, you know, that's something that we have been doing for 13 years. And that's something that I'm going to continue to do. And I didn't need the fanfare. You know, this was something, in fact, I never ever saw myself as an elected official. Never. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to serve. And so to the, to the, the, the individual who asked that question, I so appreciate it. This is my life's work is to serve the underserved, truly serve individuals, children, their families who have been living in under-resourced, underserved, and often underrepresented communities. It's Mm -hmm. my life's work, and I won't stop. I will not stop. That's
0: good to hear. Good to hear. Okay. Um, What is an area you are willing to challenge the Democratic Party on or work with them to repair that directly benefits the people?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I centered my platform on the 4E. And, Kyra, you've heard it a couple of times, economic development, employment, environment, and education, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I know that our, you know, the Democratic Party, and I'm grateful that, you know, this seat is a, a nonpartisan seat. Mm-hmm. But I am someone, I think I hail from a small community of educators and, you know, maybe even um, some who are progressive. That if we're going to improve the quality of life for folks, we really need to begin to talk about economic development and the economy. We can't allow just one party to talk about the economy. And while I think that we certainly should continue to dis- have, discuss social programs at the city of Columbia spearhead, I think we have to. One thing that I want to challenge and one thing I'm going to fight, we can do both at the same time. In fact, it is necessary it is necessary because a lot of our social programs that you know, the city already spearheads and hopefully will continue to spearhead, it takes financial backing. And a lot of times many of these programs that are spearheaded, they don't last because the funding is no longer there. And so I think it has to be both. And so I want to truly challenge us to talk about economic development more, talk about how I'll, be, I'll tell you this, the city of Columbia should not be the largest employer, and we, we just shouldn't. We should be a, uh, a, a platform or an engine where we create an environment where the brilliant minds and the creatives are able to start a business, um, expand it, but, and, and create jobs that pay a livable wage. It is not the job of the city to create jobs. We have to lean further on our private sector. As a military spouse, being, being able to live in so many different, you know, cities and different geographical areas, the most vibrant cities are the ones who lean in on the private sector to be the ones who are creating jobs. Thinking, I'm going to fight with, you know, it's much, whoever I need to fight with is, you know, a lot of times we, we, we say we're bringing in these, these companies, these large companies, sometimes global companies, and they will promise 300 jobs, but 90% of the jobs do not pay a livable wage. We have to say later to that. We have right. to say later to that. Like, we have to tell these large industries that they're going to come into the city of Columbia, they have to commit to a large percentage um, of, of their workforce being paid a livable wage. And, so, um, and then I also want to create a, a space, an environment, and a culture where big corporate indus industries see Columbia home so that mm-hmm. when, when our students even graduate from college, they have a place to land with upward mobility. And so right. I'm going to be that person who's going to be talking about economic development, even economic development, at the same time addressing some of our social issues because both are very near and dear to me. You know, right. as a former educator, and I go back to that parent. When she said, I'm doing the best I can, you know why she said that? She said because she had two and three jobs. Nobody, um, Tara, should uh-huh. have two and three jobs. No right. one. Right. And right. So because the
0: wage should have, be that's, where it actually supports the family, you know? That's right. So, that's right. Um, so I'm I have another question. Right. I have another question I, wanna, I would like to ask you as well. Um, so for a long time, the Democratic Party has been aligned with being the voice for the people we have seen for decades how this could easily be deemed untrue. So, well, actually, you know what, we kind of, we, we went into that because when I asked you what were you willing to challenge them on, so should have grouped that together. But yeah, you, you've you actually answered that. Um, Deitre, you you've covered a lot. And I definitely um, just thank you for your genuine time and just being able to answer questions without having to have that that whole rush thing going on.
1: Um, Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: So I definitely, definitely appreciate that. Um, I want to give you a couple of minutes to let people know where they could research a little more about you if they're on the, on the edge trying to figure out who they're going to vote for because it's a couple of you guys. And, um, you know, everybody has, from what I've heard has presented themselves well. So um, I definitely want to wish you well as well. Um, But I want to give you a couple of minutes to let people know where they could reach you and where they could actually find out more information about the nonprofit as well.
1: Okay, wonderful. So since you said a couple minutes, I won't take all of them. I promise, because I know that we you have to. then um, <laughs> we have to move on. Um, let me just say this: um, I have a favorite greeting. One of my favorite greetings is, and you, I'm sure you know it, is by the Maasai tribe. It's a greeting to to take a temperature of the health and wellness of the entire community. And the question asks, How are the children? And the, the 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 greeter is is asking that question, as I said before, to, just to see. Because, uh, because if, a ch- if a child in the community is suffering, then that, that means that the entire community is suffering, because very often we take care of our children first. I truly want to get to a point in the city of Columbia, the state of South Carolina, and even larger, where we can mm-hmm. finally and genuinely, authentically answer that question with the children are well. That is my most favorite, favorite uh, reading I, I, I it, my friends would, you know, often tell you that, you know, sometimes I even say that. How are the children? And mm-hmm. I, I intend, I listen because very often we do not get the answer in return. The children are well, and so mm-hmm. you can find me at com. That's my my website. Um, the nonprofit is ram dot org. You can find me on my socials, Facebook, deetra for columbia uh, Instagram, deetra for columbia and on
0: Twitter, just Detra Matthews. Okay, great. Detra. I definitely um, appreciate you. And because you're out here in the community doing the work as well, I know that we will get an opportunity. I look forward to having an opportunity to work with you um, because I truly believe that the children are our future and that it does take a village to raise the children. And too many of our children, and you have even now as adults, they're still dealing with childhood trauma. And so we have to work together as a community to help people get through the childhood traumas that they're now dealing with as adults, but to try to make it a more safer place to keep our children from having to go through all of the things that they're going through. If we can just – maybe be some type of assistance when we find out that there's something going on. So I thank you for your time. I definitely, definitely look forward to working with you um, in the near future. And I wish you the best on November 2nd. You guys go out and vote. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to have Dr. Oddity Fussles on as well. So thank you so much, Dietra, and look forward to speaking with you. Thank you, Tara. Thank All you, right.
1: You take care. Bye-bye. Your skin Bye-bye. isn't just skin.
2: It's a beautiful reflection of every single thing you've been through in life. Which is why Dove Body Wash removes your skin's ceramides and strengthens it against dryness. For instantly softer, smoother skin, you can lovingly embrace. Renew the love for your skin with Dove Body Wash.
0: Well hello and welcome back to Pressure Points Unpacked podcast. And so I am now here with Ms. Dr. Oddity Bussell, who is also a candidate you got for the it city right. of Columbia <laughs> Council at large. <laughs> So there's a little inside joke there. This is the reason why she's saying you got it right, because I wanted to make sure that I pronounced the name right. I did not want to butcher it. So thank you so much. So with that, um, Ms. Audie, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out to come on the show um, and just to give Absolutely. the listeners an opportunity to hear a more, have a, have a, a just a closer um intimate conversation with you without it having to be timed and you know just for you to get a chance to talk and to share and also to answer you know a couple of questions so thank you of thank course you. thank, thank you, you for having me you are quite welcome so you know um gosh november 2nd it's right around the corner um right around the corner so I want you to have a couple of minutes to actually give the listeners, tell them something about yourself.
2: Absolutely. So I'll actually start with the story of my name because it, it describes a lot of why I am where I am and why I've devoted my career to service. Oddity mm-hmm. uh, is actually an Indian name. It's a Hindi name. My parents immigrated from India in the early 80s. They moved to Richmond, Virginia. And they had the opportunity, uh, you know, one weekend to go up to D.C. and go to a Smithsonian exhibit that was focused on India. And the Smithsonian exhibit was actually called Aditi. And my dad had never heard that before, and he learned through that museum exhibit that Adi means beginning and Itti means end, and together it means the creation of life. And he told me this story, and he said, "As as the firstborn, I wanted to name you that. Now, I can tell you, I hated this name growing up because I. you can only imagine how kids used to make fun of me, distort it, you know, just I wanted to be, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be like everybody else, just like, you know, most kids do.
0: And um,
2: I would say a defining moment for me of really falling in love with my name was September 11th. It was really hard on us um, being mm-hmm. brown and, um, you know, being mista- mistaken for um, being Muslim or whatever sort of prejudice that people decided right. to put on us. Um, but, you know, instead of letting that kind of set us back and make us feel like perpetual outsiders, I think it really just seeing my parents be just so proud to be American. It, it, mm-hmm. That was the day I think that I realized I want everyone to be able to come to life every day being their most authentic self. And that was the first year, Tyra, that I started correcting people how to pronounce my name. And so when I think about, you know, how I've now dedicated my career to public public health for the last 10 to 12 years, it came down to those life experiences where I want everyone, regardless of where they come from, especially kids, to be able to have healthy, optimal lives where they feel welcome and inclusive and, and feel like they can, you know, really, really bring the best version of themselves every day. And so um, I am an epidemiologist. I'm a child health researcher. Uh, this was definitely not in the plan, um, but when the pandemic happened, I became really vocal about what our communities of colors were experiencing in terms of being more likely to be our frontline providers, less likely Mm -hmm. to have access to broadband, more likely to have kids at home without a caring, you know, or a caregiver or a a flexible work environment where they could be with them as they were balancing virtual school and work. And and that was just because I have been so passionate about health and equity. And what I didn't anticipate was because of that, um, people – started asking me, well, Doc, you know, what should we do about opening up our businesses? What should we do about making sure we have access to testing in every neighborhood in Columbia? And so that to me was that magical moment where I said, you know, we need someone at the table who understands data and science and how to bring our communities together and how to think about health and well-being in this holistic way. And so I always joke and say, I didn't even know how to hire a campaign manager. I had no (laughs) idea what I was doing. But I asked around, and there were some amazing women that helped me figure out that path. And, you know, about a year later, I was announcing my candidacy. So I'm running because I think it's really important for us to get out of this pandemic strong and resilient and equitable. And what better time to have someone at the table who can really provide a relevant perspective um, and a perspective that can truly advocate for for the health and well-being of our communities of color. Wow,
0: well <laughs> the question that I was gonna ask you, you just answered it. <laughs> I just read your mind. <laughs> I mean, you you know, you definitely answered it because you spoke to the reason why you're out here running, um and you talked about the unrepresented um communities. Um, you know, it's how the communities are often You know, we feel overlooked, Um, and so you actually spoke to that. Um, Yes. So let me let let me ask you this then: What are your, you know, what what are your concerns as far as um, if you win um, this at large seat? How will you structure? How will you structure? to help with the mental health crisis that we have here in the city of Columbia?
2: That is a a great question. So
0: I think of mental health
2: as a root cause of so many problems facing our city. So when I've been door knocking and, um, you know, I'm actually sitting on a friend's porch right now, taking a break from that to be on this awesome podcast. But what I've been door knocking, people tell me, it's not safe. Crime has increased. Gun violence has increased. You know, we have a problem of persons experiencing homelessness in our entertainment Mm -hmm. district. We have kids getting engaged in, uh, you know, unsafe behaviors. And to me, mental health is the root cause of that. So I work with communities to prevent what I call adverse childhood experiences or community um, and childhood trauma. And so I'd like for us to continue to implement, develop, and sustain programs that are city community partnerships that address the root cause of so many of the problems that we're seeing. And that means reducing stigma around mental health, Mm -hmm. putting in mechanisms or things in place that keep kids from uh, being exposed to trauma, whether it's domestic violence or a parent being incarcerated or, um, you know, experiencing a parent with substance misuse problems. Um, and, And what that takes is for us to really recognize that Communities know themselves best, but what we can do is provide them with funding, with structure, and with a plan to help them be sustainable over time. We can't go in and say, we're going to tell you what to do, because that's Mm -hmm. very inauthentic and never works. But what we can do is give our community members, our our future constituents, a voice at the table in terms of how best can we prioritize what our communities are facing. Um, And so what I think is really unique about me is I come with, those relationships in mental health and child health and public health and so even if it's not policy change tyra i can certainly be a champion for talking about it for raising awareness about how communities of color never talk about mental health like my parents didn't Mm -hmm. believe in therapy it's like Mm -hmm. taking them probably in the last five or six years seeing seeing that
0: yes Yeah, and that's one of the things, um, I don't know if you've had an opportunity, and I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't expect you to answer this question, so do not, Um, but whenever you get a chance, go back to some of the actual episodes that I've had, um, because we've had segments where we have dealt with childhood trauma, and we're dealing with mental health, because the normal platform, I have a mental health worker, a licensed professional counselor on, as well as a minister from the community. Um, because to me, the best way to, you can't heal a community without healing an individual. And so because, just like you said, as our, our brown communities, you know, there is a stigma around mental health. Um, And if you go out to get help, it doesn't mean that you're crazy. It's it's needed. It's a necessity, you know. And I know we often, we talk about childhood trauma, and, you know, we try to put things in place to help children who are now growing up not to run into these issues. But, I mean, we have to be realistic. It's going to happen because you have families out here because it's a trickling effect. And so we have to deal with the adults that are now still dealing with Childhood trauma, you know? Yeah, and it that's, it, right, it. that's what I work
2: with. Go ahead. Yeah, you're speaking my language because that's what I work with every day. So professionally, I'm the director of research at the Children's Trust of South Carolina, and I lead the South Carolina Adverse Childhood Experiences Initiative, which is really working with adults that have experienced uh, ACEs, right, those traumatic experiences, as well as caregivers and professionals working with kids that have experienced those high rates of ACEs. And what's amazing about our work is that not only are we able to show that, yes, South Carolina is experiencing high rates of childhood trauma, Mm -hmm. we also are able to see how resilient kids and families are when you put good things in place or what we call protective factors. And that's exactly what you can do through city policy. That's things like access to um, resources, right, in times of need, making sure that there's assistance for meeting your basic needs like, rent and utilities in a time that people are unemployed because of the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's things like, you know, advocating to the state house that we need quality child care for all kids, access to broadband. Like these are all things that ultimately lead to the prevention of childhood trauma. And so when I think about my story, I'm like, this is the same skill set that an at-large person needs to bring all of these sectors together to build a better community for kids and families that's free from violence and free from traumatic experiences.
0: Yeah, but then we also have to, and I know we're focusing on children because we're trying to, we don't want it to continue, but we have to deal with the adults that are actually suffering from it. So a lot of people that you see that are, you know, homeless, um, just some of the things that they're dealing with, you know, and so there needs to be more things that are put into place as far as when police officers get phone calls. I mean, these are things that they need to be more educated on as well, um, because every call doesn't have to escalate sometimes to the levels that they do. Um, We have to have somebody else that can go out, that can assist, or for them to realize that, hey, this is a mental health issue, and I need to call for someone else, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and so those yeah. are the things, you know, there needs to be some policy set. There needs to be more social workers, um, counselors that are brought on staff that can assist with this. Because unfortunately, as we all know, um, you know, police officers are called out for things that really they're not equipped to handle. And so we have yeah. to help to alleviate that, to train them. Hey, this is a call that, that you know, they get there and they find out, hey, this is a call that is. Beyond me, this is mental health. We, we have to be able to get that training out there to them so that they will be able to make that shift. And so, Absolutely. At, I agree with you me. know, what type of policies do you think or have you even thought about any policies that we would be able to put into place to deal with those issues?
2: So a couple of things come to mind. I mean, as I mentioned, the the top three things that consistently come up is people want a safe neighborhood, safe community, public safety is number one. Number two, I typically hear about barriers to starting and opening a business in the city. And then number three is our infrastructure, having access to clean water, walkable, you know, neighborhoods and, and, and being able to get places easily using public transportation and greenways and things like that. So, but mm-hmm. public safety in particular, I've thought a lot about this because there's a lot of great um, practices being used in cities that we can learn from. I agree with you that we, first responders shouldn't just include police; they should mm-hmm. include your licensed social workers, your your mediators, people that can address the call that is especially a non call where it's it's mm-hmm. a it's a more of a a dispute that needs a trauma-informed approach as opposed to you know, some of your more, more violent offenders and, and um, more severe crimes. That's where I think that law enforcement needs to focus their attention on. We've learned through decades of science, through everything that happened with George Floyd, to the last couple of years in terms of our reckoning with law enforcement that it's easier to become a hairstylist or a teacher. I'm sorry, it, it takes longer to become a hairstylist and a teacher than it does to become a, police, a policeman or woman. That's crazy mm-hmm. to me, right? Mm-hmm. And So that's mm-hmm. where I think that we need to really change our definition um, of what a first responder is. And uh, I think that we should have crisis teams. I do know that Columbia Police Department recently hired their first social worker. But one yeah. isn't enough for the needs that we were experiencing, yeah. and so I'd like to expand that. I also know that their trainings around, you know, mental health and, and some of these what I call root causes are not as mm-hmm. great as they could be. So I'm all about upgrading and improving the training um, of those that are in our police department to ensure that they know exactly what they're dealing with and that they recognize, like you said, this isn't an issue of me having to arrest someone. This is an issue of us addressing immense trauma that this family is experiencing. And maybe I'm Mm -hmm. not the right person to do this. Maybe the person standing next to me that's licensed and is an expert in family dynamics and, and being able to mitigate and mediate a conversation, maybe they should be the ones that are really helping us in creating peace as opposed to, you know, putting a bandaid on it and further separating families by, you know, throwing someone into jail. So I I think that, you know, in terms of addressing public safety, yes, we need to absolutely expand our thinking in terms of what a first responder is. We also have a workforce issue, right? There's a lot of vacancies in, in our law enforcement that need to be addressed and filled But also not just filled, but also we need to ensure that they're being well supported, right? So there's some Mm -hmm. data out there that actually shows that law enforcement has high rates of domestic violence, Mm -hmm. but nobody does anything about it. And a lot of that comes from unresolved PTSD, mental health issues of being on the Mm -hmm. job. And so we need Mm -hmm. to make sure that people that are out there on the streets are also taking care of themselves. And so that's where I think there's another opportunity for us to really address the mental health of adults. Serving,
0: Absolutely. And Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it may even need to be something to where there is a, well, there is a monthly wellness check to where it's yeah. mandatory like that it, they yeah. have to go and spend time with a counselor that is going to dig to see what's going on with them. Um, because the traumas, the multiple traumas that that they're facing on a daily basis as well, you know? And so in order to have, again, a healthy community, you have to start with the individuals, and we have to address all of the needs. We have to address the mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional. And so um, that's something that I would like to see in place, that there is some type of a monthly wellness check with them as Mm -hmm. well because, I mean – they face a lot, you know, you walk on these scenes and you see some things that man, you know um you can't recover from, and you can and you can try yeah. to like you know you're a superman or superwoman, but you're human, and so mm-hmm. you know you need to have that time to where you're actually able to unpack those issues of what you're seeing Yep. so um I have another question for you um put this out here. Uh, For a long time, the Democratic Party has been aligned with being the voice for the people. We have seen for decades decades, how this could easily be deemed untrue. What is an area you are willing to challenge the Democratic Party on or work with them to repair that directly benefits the people?
2: Okay, um, and can you and can you say that first part again? You cut out a little bit. You said the Democratic Party for years has been known for – Oh, okay. Can you hear me? Voice for
0: the people.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Okay, perfect. Well, I think as a non-establishment candidate, so I'm a first-time candidate. I, I don't come from any political background at all. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that I've been challenging uh, the Democratic Party on, my party on, um, This entire campaign, first and foremost, there are folks that really feel like you have to, quote, unquote, pay your dues. That's very much changing with this young generation of leaders stepping up and saying, we are the party of equity. We are the party of progress. We are the party of inclusivity. And we can all pay our dues in different ways. It doesn't have to be that you need to, you know, make it up the ranks to then be deemed worthy. Um, And so I had the fortune of participating in Emerge America, Emerge South Carolina, their chapter, um, their run for office program, which is that really has that motto, let's break barriers, get more women, particularly women of color in and at the table, because you don't need to pay your dues. You are qualified Mm -hmm. and it is your time. And so that's one of the things that I will consistently challenge that if there's any young person listening that has the slightest interest in running, I want to help you because it's time for us to step up. We are the ones that the policies that are, that are being implemented on a local, state, and national level, we are the ones that it will directly affect um, and so that's one thing that I'd like to continue to challenge. I think also sometimes our our party is our own worst enemy. I think one thing that Republicans get right is they're very loyal to each other. I think it's okay to hold mm-hmm. ourselves accountable, but sometimes we need to recognize the the what is what is our bigger picture. What that's do we right. want our world to be? And if we that's don't, right. if we if we worry so much about infighting, that's when people take advantage of us. And mm-hmm. I'm somebody who I think has really been able to speak to all different dimensions of what is a Democrat and, frankly, speak to, um, you know, folks in the Republican Party as well. This is a nonpartisan seat. And so it can be done. And I think that the Democrats, we can really, really improve on our messaging and
0: how we connect with people. Right, right. Um, Because I think one of the bigger problems, and I know especially I can speak to the African-American community, is that um, for so long, it just always appears and that's what where that question comes from about the voice for the voice of the people but I think more mm-hmm. and more people are waking up and they are no longer just voting a straight party ticket you know they're understanding mm-hmm. that hey if this person is speaking the language that I want to hear if they're making these changes they're out here doing the work then no I'm going to go ahead and vote for this particular person you know um, I absolutely
2: so, agree
0: with you, and I can share. Uh-huh. Sorry,
2: go. I was just saying no, I right. can share a, a experience related to that. Um, you know, I am uh, I'm I'm brown. I'm neither black or white. And typically, uh, you know, South Carolina is pretty black and white. And so it's been really interesting to create a new narrative, create our own circles of people that are coming behind our campaign to support us, and I've had these very same thing, conversations that you're mentioning where. There are a lot of my um, supporters that are black and they say, you know, I, I'm really excited to get to know candidates for who they are, their lived experiences, right. and, and I'm, I'm, really, um, I'm really focused on that and I'm, I'm ready for something new. And I think that's wonderful that people are thinking in terms of how we can be and think and, and challenge what is considered the
0: voice of the people. Right. Right, right, exactly. Without the oddity vessels, I have definitely enjoyed our time. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to let the listeners know where they can find more information out about you.
2: Oh, awesome. Well, one week away, November 2nd, is a big day. It's a really important election. In fact, mm-hmm. it's probably more important and will impact more of your life than a Senate or presidential election. You have four, we have four new seats depending on where you leave <laughs> or where you live. I am mm-hmm. running for the at-large seat. You can find out more about me at oddity, A-D-I-T-I for the city.com. My cell phone number is 803-216-1948. If you have any questions or concerns, you know, I would love to talk with you. Um, and I just hope that you'll come out and vote. We really, really need people to have their voice be heard so that this next chapter of Columbia is set up for success. Thank you
0: so much for having me. Well, you are so welcome. I thank you for taking the time out as you're out there knocking on doors. Be careful. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Take the time to actually, you know, come on and and talk with me. So I really appreciate that. Um, I wish you the best. And November 2nd, go vote. Go vote. So this is Pressure Points Unpacked podcast, and I'm your host, Tyra Little, and I will see you next week, Tuesday at 6 Eastern Standard Time. It's already-